Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello and welcome to Circling the Bases, proudly presented by Roto World and NBC Sports. I'm DJ Short. And with me here once again is Scott Pianowski from Yahoo. Thanks to those of you joining us on Twitch this afternoon, and for those of you listening in podcast form or watching later on YouTube or recording on Monday afternoon. And the All-Star break is officially upon us. We had the Futures game on Saturday. The MLB draft on Sunday night, which is always interesting. You know, for me, I'm not super plugged into, you know, high school, college baseball necessarily, uh, but still always a fun watch. Uh, tonight, the Home Run Derby, uh, which to me is the highlight of the week. What about you, Scott? Yeah, what about me? I you know, I don't know that much about the draft either. I, I could talk about maybe two or three prospects, but I mm-hmm. don't go deep with it. It's, it's different than other leagues where – you know, the NBA draft comes and those guys might be superstars tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And the NFL draft is obviously it's like a cottage industry now, you know, the, we, I feel yep. like the NFL draft is a 12 month a year draft baseball. It's just, you know, a lot of these guys are high school kids. We may see them three or four years later to me. Right. My, my fun with baseball drafts is looking at them in retrospectively, you know, looking back mm-hmm. at a draft and thinking, and, and it's so easy. It's so fun to say it, you know, Oh my God, you know, you could, they could have drafted this player. They could have they ended up drafting that player. You know, the Mets famously passed on Reggie Jackson in the 1960s mm-hmm. and took Steve Chilcutt or something like that. I don't, I don't know right. why. It d- didn't work out. Um, so that, that's always fun. Of course, in basketball, famously, Michael Jordan was drafted after Sam Bowie. That's the famous 1984 draft. Akeem mm-hmm. Olajuwon, justifiable at number one. So I like looking at drafts in retrospect. Yeah. Um, so I don't have a lot on that. I'll watch the home run derby tonight. I'll watch some of the all-star game. I said on a previous episode when I was a kid, the All-Star game was like I would watch it A to Z, beginning yeah. to end, including the introductions, because it was my only chance to see some of these guys. We didn't have every game pretty much on TV now, uh, TV then as we do now. So it was a chance to see, oh, okay, that's what Tony Gwynn looks like, you know? Or, or I, maybe I knew what he looked like as his baseball card, but that's what his stance looked like because I never got to see him play. So that was uh, totally different. I also want to mention that um, I'm still trying to figure out, sort through my feelings on this, but I saw – the Tigers and Blue Jays play Saturday. I, I was uh, given access to a suite, 20 people, uh, a friend of mine, and like 19 people I didn't know. And the Tigers threw a no-hitter, which was fun. But it was uh, Matt Manning, and it was a couple of relievers. Uh, Matt Manning didn't know he had a no-hitter when he was removed from the game. I mentioned right. that the Tigers were working on a no-hitter in the middle of the game, and nobody in my suite realized it. Maybe yeah, because we're too busy eating the whole two or three hours. But um, <laughs> how do you feel about these combination no hitters? Because they're more common now than the solo no hitter. Yeah, it just doesn't have as much juice to me. 
And and the thing about no hitters though, like there are the dominant no hitters, but there's also like the fluky everything goes right for one day no hitters where there's yeah. not a lot of strikeouts. And you could say that for like a combined no hitter too. I think at this point, what really gives a no hitter juice is it just being a dominant one pitcher performance. The combined no hitter, not nah, it's more of a like a weird kind of novelty one. The Mets had, I believe, like a five pitcher no hitter last uh, April or May, but it's just it's just not just not the same to me. I think like over the weekend, the more exciting thing that happened. Not to discount what you witnessed, which I guess is history. I know, what you're, gonna, I know what you're going to say, and I'm going to agree with you. But Ellie De La Cruz yes, stealing <laughs> second base, third base, and and home in in one plate appearance. I mean that hasn't happened since Rod Carew. Our blast, Ellie De La Cruz is just it's so freaking cool. I, I, a day or two earlier, he had at bat where they wanted to check his bat. They wanted to have mm-hmm. it examined, and then the next at bat, he hit a home run, and he looked back at the at the umpire and the catcher and, and pointed to his bat like, "You want to check it now?" And yes. then jogged around the bases, and he's he's such a spectacle, you know. He he's just he's always smiling. He's got the hair flopping around everywhere. The the Reds are are, you know, are just a high fiving, fun loving team. I, I'm sure it's going to get under players' skin, and I hope nobody shows any antagonism towards Delhi Cruz. Maybe mm-hmm. next time he plays the Brewers, maybe they might want to throw inside. I'm, I'm against all that. If somebody plays well against you, the com- the way to combat that should be play better. not yeah. or, or maybe in the case of the Brewers, be aware, right? That's yeah, not, not stroll back to the mound and right, turn your right. back. Yeah, you know? so I, I, I love Ellie Dela Cruz. I love everything about this Reds team. They're aggressive. They're cocky. But so what? I mean, you know, they're, they're not boring at all. And right. um I, I can't get enough of them. I have Ellie De La Cruz, thankfully, in a couple of leagues. I, I maybe I could say three leagues if I count the draft we did last week, where my whole point was I had to have Ellie De La Cruz. I got him in the second round. I think there's a legitimate chance he's a first round pick next year for two for two reasons. One, I mean, he's, he's filling all the categories. We we know he has a lot of swing and miss in his game. We talk about there'll be adjustments in the league. How he adjusted the adjustments, I get all that. But when you combine his ability to fill different categories with the fact that he's such a fun player, he's just a guy that people are going to want to have on yeah. their rosters. There'll be a lot of FOMO, whoever didn't get him this year, that may artificially push up. In fact, I may be saying next March when we're doing a podcast, you know, I like Deli Deli Cruz in the second round. Now that he's going seventh overall, maybe I'm not I on know. board anymore. I, I could see that happening because he, it's just people yeah. want to be – on board with something like this. He's such a fun player. It's such a fun team. They've obviously told the whole Reds team, run as much as you want, and they're running like crazy. And, and you know what else? I Just to tie in Ellie and the game Saturday. Saturday was the first game I've been to this year. I've obviously watched a ton of baseball. It's what we do. We cover it. But it's the first game I've been to this year. And I I thought that the play clock, the pitch clock, just in person was great. I Just the pace of the play was really nice. And I think baseball needed it. And I love the fact that teams are running crazy right now. We, we got oh, to a point great. where teams that realize that stolen bases, unless you stole an extremely high clip, weren't really optimal. And the idea that you were probably going to score your runs on a home run anyway, so getting from first to second didn't mean that much because you probably wouldn't hit a single. I, I less yeah. love that stolen bases are back in the game. And, it, and it's funny. When there used to be teams, I, I, I'm old enough to remember like the 85 Cardinals that had one guy who could hit a home run. Everybody else was like punch and Judy, slap the ball yes. around, steal bases type of guy. I hated that team in the moment. And then like a couple decades passed, I'm like, geez, what I wouldn't give for the 1985 Cardinals right now. I just love the fact that there are teams right now that they're like, screw it. You, you, we're going to run as much as we can. And if you don't like it, st- you know, try to stop us. I never understood DJ. Remember when John Lester had that mental block about throwing yes. it first? 
Why did teams not run him I in, know. In, in, into just into the ground? I, I I don't know why you wouldn't do that in the NFL. If a team couldn't stop a certain play, you would run it until they stopped it. And I feel like I, I don't know if it maybe players had some empathy towards John Lester, which is kind of a nice human story, or maybe they'll say, "Oh, we're too cool to do that." Like people always say, "Well, if they're shifting on you, why don't you bunt?" Now it's kind of hard to bunt. I get it. Maybe right. you won't want to do that. I still think there could be more bunting against extreme. In fact, during this no hitter, at one point. Zach McKinstry was playing so deep. I think Brandon Belt was up, and any mm-hmm. bunt near third base in fair territory would have been a hit because McKinstry was basically. In the I, I think that's fair game. I don't know For why sure. anyone would get upset about that. You're trying to win a baseball game. For sure, know? yeah, and and that's why AJ Hinch said he took out Manning when he did. As he said, look, you know, we, we got a guy on base. You know, he's he's getting up in the pitches. We got to think about winning the ball game. And the Tigers, of course, they're kind of quasi contenders. Nobody's running away in the AL Central. But anyway. Big ups to the rule changes just to see him in person. They they passed the eye test. Uh, the no hitter was fun, but not as juicy as as. It, here's the bottom line, okay? When I think back to this weekend, 10, 15, 20 years later, I, I think I might remember the Ellie De La Cruz moment more than I remember the Matt Manning etc. moment in Detroit. Absolutely, there was actually a great picture. I believe it was by an AP photographer of Ellie De La Cruz sliding into home plate. Uh, head first with his hand. It's like an over overhead shot. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful photograph. You should go check it out. I've seen it on Twitter throughout the weekend. Just beautiful. Uh, it really sums up the game that uh, Ellie De La Cruz plays. Oh, are are we sure we can't get him in the All-Star game? I, I, I've, I I've heard people say, you know, in coming years, there should be one or two All-Star spots just for like a player we're trying to feature who maybe hasn't earned it on the field because Ellie's only been up for a few weeks. I get it. Right. But it's supposed to be a promotion of baseball. And right now, he's one of the 10 most fun players in baseball. He may be one of those five most fun players in baseball. People, yeah. if he were in this game, I'd be more likely to watch it myself. And I'm a huge baseball fan. Sure. You know, um, why not have one or two, like, you know, just kind of that, I don't know, up and coming stars, you know, spot or something like that. Also, how did Lane Thomas not make this team? I know I outfield is always a deep position, but. Yeah. Guriel of Arizona made it, and he wasn't a roster fill because obviously mm-hmm. Corbin Carroll was going to make this team. You, you're going to tell me that Guriel's having a better year than Lane Thomas? I don't see was that it at all. Josiah Gray was the Knots representative, he was, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And he deserves it. I mean, I think that's the casualty of like having like most of the Braves on the team. It's like there's only so many spots, but I agree. I might talk about Lane Thomas later. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to play a little game called Most Likely To sort of like superlatives you'd find in your yearbook. I don't know if they still do that. Is that still a thing? But uh, not all these are going to be necessarily positive, most likely to. But uh, we'll get into that as the show moves along here. So let's let's talk about Home Run Derby picks for tonight. A little mm-hmm. bit of shelf life before the Home Run Derby tonight. But um, just looking at the favorites right now, Pete Alonzo is the betting favorite, uh, plus 330. Uh, Vlad Jr. is very close. He's plus 350. Luis Robert, uh, who's the number one seed, he's plus four, uh, 440 right now. J-Rod, the home hometown hero here, he's plus 500. Then it's Adolis Garcia, Randy Arizarena, Adley Rushman, Mookie Betts. So it's, it's a bracket style here. So Luis Robert will go up against Adley Rushman, who hit a bomb over the weekend. It was like 450 feet. Uh, Pete Alonso is the number two seed, goes up against Julio Rodriguez. Mookie Betts, the number three seed, goes up against Vlad Jr. 
Uh, and Adolis Garcia goes up against Randy Arozarena. I know it's kind of crazy to be like, who are you picking here? Like, because anything can happen. It's just an exhibition. Um, but what what are you thinking? What's your gut telling you about this home run derby, Scott? Yeah, I think he's a... Uh... Joe Posnanski was making the point in his newsletter today, and I'm sure other people have made this point. I wish they had set the brackets not by home runs hit, but maybe by the plausible odds, because we mm-hmm. can't have an Alonzo Vladimir Guerrero final, which I would love to see, or Alonzo Julio Rodriguez is, would meet up too early. I always think Pete Alonso is going to win the home run derby, and if he doesn't win it, I think somebody like Vladimir Guerrero, who, who maybe has the body type that's better served for a home run derby. Like, I, I love Mookie Betts. He's one of my probably my favorite baseball player for the last 15 years. I, he's got no chance to win this. Um, it, it's going to be one of the favorite. It's what, when I see odds like this, it, your global odds, Alonzo, the favorite, normally I'm like, you know, don't bet on the favorite. The odds are going to be juiced out of it. You, you want to go for some value. In the home run derby, I think one of the favorites is going to win. I think you have to get one of the top three or four guys. So I'm looking at this bracket, and I see Pete Alonzo going up against Julio Rodriguez in Seattle. Mm-hmm. I think there's a decent chance that J-Rod upsets Alonzo in this first round. I mean, that's so wrong. That's a first-round matchup, mm-hmm. right? We, we, we need to – although I guess it, it, the point would be that we're going to get it. I mean, if they, were, they weren't paired together, maybe we weren't going to see them. Yeah, I could see – based on the odds, even if you, if you said to me, the odds don't matter, just pick a winner, I would pick Alonzo. But yeah, given the, the odds of Rodriguez are longer, he's got the hometown crowd, he's obviously got – the type of game we can hit a bunch of home runs in a row. I, I think Rodriguez is the value here. So, and obviously mm-hmm. the sentimental favorite Seattle. It's great to have it Seattle too. I, yeah. it's a great baseball stadium, I, great baseball city, a park I've never been to. It's on my, I was in Seattle once there wasn't a Mariners game the weekend I was in Seattle, but or the week, I guess it was, but there was an event there. I don't know why I just didn't go. I actually famously, I skipped a, an event at Tiger stadium after the ballpark closed. I could have gone to an exhibition softball game just mm. to see the park. It was raining that day. I decided not to go and regretted it the rest of my life. I will never do that again. You, you have to go. You, you don't know yeah. if, if Nirvana is going to be around for 20 more years, stuff like that. You have to go to these things while you can. But, yeah, I can see Rodriguez. The value is certainly on Rodriguez. Um, if we took Alonzo and Rodriguez off the board, you think Guerrero, Robert, who, Garcia, who, who do you like of those guys? I This other side of the bracket with Robert, Rushman, Adolis Garcia, Randy Rosarena. I'm going to go with Rosarena to come out of this side. Um, he loves the showcase. He's mm-hmm. a showman. He is. He hits the ball extremely hard. I th- I think he comes out of this side, which is the kind of like I, I don't want to say it's the weaker side, but I think he has a real chance to come out of this. And if Alonso gets upset in this first round against Julio Rodriguez, which I think has a real shot of happening, I think a Rosarena could be like the dark horse play. Uh, in this mix here, Arozarena is plus 850. So if you want to sprinkle in anyone, Arozarena would be my pick. But yeah, I, I mean, like I that. think probably one of the favorites is going to win. But I think if you want to do long shot, Arozarena is the guy. Yeah, don't bet Betts or Rutschman. Uh, I would never no. do that. And, and you know, I love Garcia and Arozarena I have a soft spot for. Because when guys come up and are viable major leaguers and fantasy players late in their 20s or sometimes in their 30s, you, know, you think of um, – Cruz, uh, Nelson Cruz, the career arc he had, where I think it was like age 30, where he busted out age 29, something like that. Garcia and Rosarena are both late bloomers. And Garcia is a guy who swings at everything. He doesn't have a great OBP. You know, Rosarena had that 
wonderful run in the playoffs. People are like, oh, is that really who he is? Is that for real? And he's been undervalued, I think, his entire fantasy career. I So I have a soft spot for both of those guys because when we like – you mentioned the draft, right? I mean, what Rutschman was the first overall pick in his draft class. He was tabbed as a future star. Everything he's done since then points to it. I think Adley Rutschman's going to be an MVP someday. But not every player has that sort of arc. And some guys come out of nowhere and some guys don't get a chance to play. Sometimes they're blocked. Sometimes they get a chance and they fail in their first opportunity. They need to bounce around a little bit. I always have a soft spot for guys who don't have a linear plane taking off career arc because you can get a lot of good fantasy value that way. It's kind of funny to see this one matchup here with Adolis Garcia and Randy or Rosarena. What do they both have in common? Both former St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, so, right. Uh, <laughs> the voodoo has worn off, DJ. I, I, I've been waiting all year for the Cardinal devil, you know, devil magic to kick in. It has not kicked in. Yeah, I know. I think we could be talking trade deadline. The Cardinals, like, do they trade Paul Goldschmidt? Do they trade Jordan Montgomery, who they got from the Yankees last summer? Do they trade Jack Flaherty? Like, these rumors could pop up pretty soon because the Cardinals, I think, I don't think they have a shot. I've given up. I have, I was so open minded to waiting for them just to say, okay, we're better than these teams, and and it's really twofold. One, I just think they have a lot of problems, but two, I believe in the Reds, man. And also, I talk about. Uh, daily reads I get. I, I Joe Sheehan's one of my f- uh, good friend of mine, one of my favorite baseball writers, and he was just talking about the job Craig Council's doing in Milwaukee year after year. <clears throat> they don't have a great team. They have a no. very pedestrian lineup, and he's a wizard with the way he handles the pitching staff. Although I, I did mention last week that Christian Yelich was having a much better season than he's I realized. Been great. Yeah. He's been really good, and man, what a giveaway he was on draft season. But mm-hmm. I believe in the Reds. Where I firm, I'm so in on the Reds, and they've done it with their pitching staff. Kind of been nothing if they get anything from some of their young pitchers especially some of the guys coming back from injury they could be extremely dangerous but their lineup is so deep one to nine mm-hmm. it's one of those teams where even the guys at the bottom of the lineup are good there aren't that many teams that could say that atlanta of course could say that the rangers could say that i think the reds we talked in the preseason about them being a destination offense i didn't think it would be the way it's come where a lot of the destination right. came up from the minors right Spencer Steer, maybe a little bit overshadowed uh, right now because De La Cruz yeah. is you know, the hot commodity. He's having a great season. There's just all mm-hmm. sorts of guys in this offense who are providing value. But, again, it's one of these lineups that you never get a break. You're, you're always right. up against it, even if you're in the bottom half of that lineup. It makes them a – you throw in the ballpark itself, which is a really dangerous place to hit. But, I, yeah, I've given up on the Cardinals, man. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Also, this is a hot topic. I'm, as a Red Sox fan, I'll throw this out there. They have a surprising record over 500 quasi contenders i would still sell everything they can oh yeah they're, they're not i don't think i don't think they have the pitching staff that could ever go deep in the playoffs mm-hmm. it's still a very difficult division as we know tampa bay come back to the pack they've looked really pedestrian they yeah, orioles are right on their heels and orioles like they're a lineup real soon with all the promotions they're having there's not going to be a break in that orioles lineup either you know i'd love to see them win the division and I, last year they felt ahead of schedule this year they feel legitimate and i think they, they better go out and trade for someone for they sure, need for pitching. Sure. go trade for giolito or whatever but they need to bolster that rotation give themselves a real chance if you remember last year they traded away players mm-hmm. um so we'll, which, we'll which i thought was smart which i thought yeah, was smart. It was. they were ahead of schedule maybe you, you didn't think you had that great of a chance in a playoff tournament this year they they could do it and you're right can they get a pitcher now there just isn't that much pitching out there, and I'm curious no. to see who's made available. Yeah. But I, I have nothing against Tampa Bay, but 
Yeah, I've been to Camden Yards. Uh, I've been, I haven't been to the Tampa Bay Park, but I've been around it. It's just, man, I, I just, there's something about Baltimore when they're in the hunt and I know. that vibe I, of the city. That it's, fan it's, base is great. They're awesome. That park changed everything, right? I mean, it was for a long time, the new parks weren't a big deal. And then Camden came around where somebody said, you know what? We can mix the old school architecture and history and you know, nostalgia with all the new school art, you know, all the new school way to build a, a stadium. We can make it so it, you know, it's got the wide concourses and it's got the, mm-hmm. the modern seats that actually fit somebody. Yep. You know, so you're not, you're all you know, like sitting on the middle seat of a plane and, and yet it looks cool and it looks old school. Uh, they, they, yep. per, they got it right. And since then we've just got all these new parks that are really, really fun. Camden Yards is the grandfather to all those parks. Oh yeah. I mean, you think about the seventies and eighties with like the multi-purpose bowl, like how boring could you get? Um, now each ballpark has a you know a distinct look and feel. As it should. Um, and it, that's I mean that's yeah they're they're collect they're collectible too. Yeah, at some point we're going to do a ballpark draft. I know. And uh, oh yes, oh I I've been to that. about I feel like I've been to about twenty or so, although a handful mm. of them don't exist anymore. But there's still I haven't been to PNC yet, which is crazy living in Detroit yeah, because on my list it's, it's it's drivable for me. I haven't yeah. been to Target Field yet. That's uh, one of my favorite parks. I've never been to. There's a few others. I, I actually liked the Metrodome, even though I, I was glad to see it go, but. Because Minnesota should be playing outside. I wish the Vikings played outside too, but that's neither here nor there. You know, I, nobody ever talks about City Field. I had a great time. Uh, the one oh, game I went to City awesome. Field had a blast. We did love a Tout Wars event at City Field. I love how it's styled like Ebbets Field, I want to say. Um, I think City Field is, is a really cool – is it my favorite park? No, but people don't talk about it. I think City Field is a really, really cool place to watch. Ball really game. cool concourse area. The sunsets are cool. Like you got – the whole lay of the land there. The food options are great. Food's fantastic. Very, very I, good. I think it's totally underrated. I'm glad you mentioned PNC Park, though, because stay tuned this weekend from the San Francisco Bay to the banks of the Allegheny, the Giants face the Pirates once more in Pittsburgh. Both teams hope to move up in their divisions, but only one can rise on Sunday morning. Watch MLB Sunday leadoff live at 11.30 Eastern, exclusively on Peacock. Of course, the Pirates have faded a bit here. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The Giants have had a surprisingly good first half. We'll see if they can maintain it here as we move along. And we're looking ahead to the second, to the second half with a little game we're going to play here called Most Likely to have each prepared... Uh, a few questions for each other. I'm going to throw the first one right at you, Scott. Which pitcher 
is most likely to regress in the second half. Marcus Stroman or Tyler Wells, we mentioned the Orioles already. Marcus Stroman could be a trade candidate here. Marcus Stroman or Tyler Wells, who are you feeling better about? You know, I was throwing the who leads the major leagues in whip question out to a few people. And um, my friend Frank Schwab got it because they, he saw a Tyler Wells segment on MLB network. I never would have gotten that right. Yeah. I have to give, I have to figure that Wells has the bigger crash to earth because Stroman has a track record mm-hmm. that we can bet on. Although Stroman, one thing I don't like about Stroman, I'm going to reveal myself as an old man here. I don't like pitchers who wear single digits. I have a few get off by lawn <laughs> things I'll say. Like I think I don't think any athlete should wear number one unless he's a goalie or a place kicker or like a middle infielder who's under five nine. Those guys mm-hmm. should wear number one. I, I don't think quarterbacks should wear number one. I, I don't think power forwards should wear number one. Um that that's whatever. I don't I don't like pitchers who wear single digits, but because Strowman has been around the block and I, I just feel like Wells is just all, it's it's Pixie dust. I think Wells could actually be somebody who's ERA and whip collapse in the second half of the season. Interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna go the opposite way here. I, I think Wells has taken a step forward here with the strikeouts. His controls better than last year. He's got the pitcher friendly home ballpark. Stroman's walk rate is up this year. He doesn't strike out a lot of batters. His strikeout percentage is lower uh, than Wells. The defense is pretty good with the Cubs. But let's say Stroman gets traded to a team that are often or where the infield defense isn't as strong. Uh, he ends up in a hitter-friendly ballpark, or you know, a division that might be tougher. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my uh, money on Wells here moving forward. Okay, we're we're definitely uh, not in agreement there. Let me ask you who is going to be the pitcher valedictorian of the second half, and it's been all over <clears> the map. All right, I mean, it, it was Nathan Ivaldi for a while, Spencer Strider for a while, McClanahan before he got hurt. Who's going to be the best fantasy pitcher? Who's going to be the pitcher valedictorian after the All-Star break? I think that's kind of a boring chalk answer, but I think it's going to be Garrett Cole. Uh, I think he's most likely to throw the most innings in the second half Mm -hmm. here for a Yankees team who really needs him uh, and is going to ride him as far as they can as they try to uh, clinch a postseason berth here. I, I think Cole, I mean, he's having a great year, kind of an underrated year. I don't feel like he's getting as much attention as he should be getting. So I think he's just going to keep it going here in the second half and maybe win another, uh, maybe win a Cy Young award here with the Yankees. I, I think Cole's the ticket. Yeah, I can see that. You know, um, I, I almost put in a thing for the Braves about senior skip day because they have run their pri- their their primary starting lineup, which is pr- pretty much all in the All Star game. They they play just about every day, and I think at some point they're going to pull back from their regulars, and also they're going to pull back on people like Spencer Strider because they want him healthy for the postseason. So I I can't go with Strider, who would be an easy choice there. I, I'm going to give yep. some more love to Framber Valdez, the strikeout ground yep. ball combination, the H- the Houston infrastructure. It's interesting. I'm looking up the. I'm looking right now at the the best fantasy pitchers of the first half. And one thing you talked about, Tyler Wells. One thing that's kind of funky about him. I'm in one league where quality starts is a category. He only has eight quality starts. He's had a lot of games where he's been great, but it's been like five and a thirds great, five and two thirds great. He's not somebody who goes. You know, right now, seven innings is kind of the old nine innings, right? If you have a horse like Cole, you're thinking we want seven today. Framber Valdez, we want seven today. Zach Gallon. 
we want seven today. I'm going to say Valdez, but this is the thing where you could ask 10 different people. I swear you can get 10 different answers. Yeah. I mean, going into the season, uh, I like Luis Castillo and Zach Allen. That's mostly worked out. You could certainly make the case for those guys, but I think the safest play, for, you know, makes sense. would be Garrett Cole, especially the ERA where it is right now. Uh, looking very shiny. So my next question for you, Scott, which rookie is most likely to reach 30 home runs uh, Corbin Carroll or Francisco Alvarez? Not an easy one. Yeah, I love it. You um, could say both too, but which one do you think is more? Yeah, I, I was going to ask you a most likely to succeed question because I just wanted to talk about Ellie Dela Cruz more, although Cor- Corbin <laughs> Carroll's probably would have been the right answer. I- I'm going to go with Corbin Carroll in part because I think his playing time is just a little bit safer. Yeah, I know the Mets feel good about Alvarez's defense, but after hitting second very briefly uh, – percolating the top of that lineup. He's actually moved back down to the bottom third of the lineup. Batting average could be a little bit of a risk. I know it's a home run question, but I just think Carroll's going to get an extra 30 or 40 at bats, maybe more than that, depending on how the playing time shakes out. So I, even though Alvarez is probably a better pure power hitter, I'm going to go with, with Carroll because I think he's going to get more opportunity. Yeah. I tweeted something out over the weekend about Alvarez, just home runs per at bat. It's Otani, Alonzo, Matt Olson, Max Muncy, and then Francisco Alvarez. It's pretty surprising. I mean, he hasn't been up the whole year. Like basically the first month he wasn't he wasn't up. Um, so I think he's only played about 67 games, something like that. Or he has 17 home runs. He's the power is coming at a prodigious rate. And he also is extremely streaky. I, th- I think that's another part of it. Uh, we'll see how he goes in the second half if you know, he hits a wall, like he's never played this many games before. Uh, we'll see where things go. I think they both have a real shot at getting to 30. Um, most likely, though, probably Carroll. I think I agree. But I, I think they both get there, honestly. Okay, let's go to the Pomp and Circumstance Award. This is a uh, was played, I think, when Sparky Lyle would come into the game for the Yankees. This is a question about relief pitchers and saves. Right now, Camilo Duvall, Alexis Diaz, and Jordan Romano all have 26 saves. Emilio Casse has 25. Batista, who's been just ridiculous, 23 saves for the Orioles. A handful of guys in the 20s. So the, the save chase is wide open for who leads the league in saves. Uh, if you yeah. had to put a token down, you're going with one of the front runners. You think maybe Josh Hader could get hot? He's got 21 saves. Uh, Ryan Presley, you know, chugging along with 20 saves. Devin Williams has been really good. I think the Red Sox should trade Kenley Jansen. He's got 19 saves. Who's going to be the save leader when the season is over? I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be Alexis Diaz. Uh, I think the Reds. It's tough to say because the, the Blue Jays had such high expectations coming into the season. It's not always about the best team either. It's about the teams who may play the closest games. So Class A has a shot too, uh, but Diaz has just hit another level this year, become one of the best relief pitchers in all of baseball. I do think the Reds are going to win this division, might make some additions, hopefully in the rotation. Uh, we'll see uh, as the trade deadline approaches, but yeah, I'm I'm big on on Diaz here. Um, you know, we don't have Edwin Diaz, but uh, Alexis Diaz is, has really uh, hit a new level this season. And yeah, I think I think he'll be the number one guy. Batista, we'll see. I think the Orioles can be a little creative in the late innings sometimes, but uh, I'll go with Diaz. Okay, I like it. Uh, Dofall kind of stood out to me because I just think of the Giants as playing. 
a style that's going to give him a lot of opportunities. And he's obviously the unquestioned closer for them. But there's another thing where you ask five different people, I think you might get five different answers. Yeah. And I think, you know, Gabe Kapler being there too, there's always a chance he'll, you know, be a little bit unconventional. There's the Rogers twins there and they can pick up high leverage spots too. So uh, he wouldn't be my top choice, but would it be surprising? Uh, no, it wouldn't be. Um, all right. Up next for me, more trade deadline talk, which pitcher, and this isn't necessarily pitchers who are um, are definitely going to be traded, but Kind of, you know, digging a little deeper here. Which pitcher is most likely to get traded by the deadline? Shane Bieber or Blake Snell? I was shocked at how good Blake Snell's been in the last seven or eight He's weeks. He's been the, amazing. The Padres, I think the Padres still fancy themselves contenders. I don't think they're going to trade Snell. You mentioned Giolito earlier. I could see him being traded. I think the Red Sox have screwed up if they don't trade James Paxton. I, I definitely can't go with Snell there. I, I'd say anybody but Snell. I think the Padres are going to hold on to him with two hands. Yeah, I think with all the money the Padres spent, they're going to just put the put the uh, foot on the gas pedal and like see how far uh, they can go here. They took two out of three from the Mets over the weekend and uh, the battle of two of the most disappointing teams in the sport, I would say. The White Sox are in that mix too, but um, with all the money the Mets and the Padres have spent, they sh- there's no doubt they should be better. I think the Padres will see this out too. Uh, and we'll see. I mean, I think the AL Central is still gettable for the Guardians, but I believe the Guardians only have one year of team control left on Bieber. They have all this young talent coming up. Bieber isn't quite the same dominant pitcher he was before. So I think the time could be right for the Guardians to perhaps trade uh, Bieber for a bat. You know, at one point in the league, I co-managed my buddy Scott Gleason. We looked at Bieber as a trade chip, and there were so many different red flags with him that we mm-hmm. decided, considering what the other team wanted in trade for Bieber anyway, they were, we weren't even going to go down that route. And what we ended up doing is spent three days trying to trade for Ellie Dilly Cruz before he popped up, before he really went crazy. And uh, the other guy said, I just don't want to trade Ellie. And, you know, Again, I'm, I'm trying to talk about Ellie Dela Cruz for 15 minutes. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> the, the, I'm sure, I'm sure, producer Adam is like, you know, talk about something else, please. But um, I, I actually, from a fantasy perspective, would be nervous to trade for Bieber. And I, I think from I'm curious to see if real life teams treat him that way as well. Oh, agreed. Okay, uh, summer school, right? Uh, you, you fall behind your class. You go to summer school, maybe take a couple of classes. Not that I know anything about this. Uh, <laughs> Well, I didn't in high school. In college, I may have taken – actually, in college, I loved going to summer school. It was easier to focus on a shorter, a smaller course level. And I, I always aced my summer school classes. I usually would hang around college anyway. You know, you're in there in T-shirt shorts. So I see some offenses that you could use some summer school. The Phillies have 401 runs. They're 17th. The Blue Jays have 410 runs. They're 13th in the major league in scoring. The Padres we talked about are tied with the Phillies for 401 runs. Do you think the Phillies, Padres, uh, Blue Jays, or maybe a different team would benefit the most maybe from summer school and get back on track so that you know they're ready to graduate in good standing by the end of the season? I like it. Uh, I think the Phillies. Uh, I think we're going to see a better Bryce Harper uh, in the second half. I think no power. His power has been missing. And I, I, I didn't, that, that stuck up on me. Somebody said to me, why are you not yeah. talking about Bryce Harper having three home runs? I was like, I didn't notice it. Right. I mean, it's not surprising either because he returns so fast, yeah, schedule, yeah. faster than anyone would have thought. So I think he does deserve a little bit of a grace period. I wonder how the elbow is truly feeling too. 
Um, you know, there's been conversation about him potentially playing first base. Like, we'll see what goes on with that. But I think we'll see a better Bryce Harper in the second half. I think we'll see a better, better Trey Turner in the second half, too, which might be the most important thing uh, fantasy-wise. Uh, but as the weather heats up in Philadelphia, I think we'll see uh, a lot more uh, home runs fly out of the park there in Philadelphia. Kyle Schwarber uh, as well. You could throw into that Mac and that makes Alec Bohm. I, I think top to bottom, that lineup is very, very good on paper. I think they're going to be better. I, I can't say the same for, for the Padres. I think they're a very top-heavy uh, team. Uh, I think the Phillies are most likely uh, to be a very intimidating uh, group as we get into the second half here. Who has a better second half, Trey Turner or Juan Soto? Fantasy-wise? Sure. Trey Turner. Uh, I think he just he just impacts more categories. That's why I liked him more going into the season. For me, he was my he was my number one player, which I know maybe looks silly now because of the way Acuna has played where he's just the slam duck number one. But, uh, yeah, I think just across the board going into, into the season, to me, he was the safest. That has led me astray in many a fantasy league this season. Um, but I think Turner, just because of what he can do across the board, he's my top uh, top pick there. Yeah, I would go with Turner as well. So uh, kind of in a similar light, but more player-specific here for my final question, which first-half dud is most likely to rebound in the second half, Tim Anderson or Jeff McNeil? I kind of have to go with Anderson only because the payoff would be so much better. He just is yep. more dynamic. player. Anderson is usually somebody who lives off batting average and doesn't have as much category juice, but it is confounding to me to watch Tim Anderson play bad baseball. He's always been one of my favorite players. And I talked again about De La Cruz's joy of, you know, joie de vivre on the baseball field. Tim Anderson's one of those guys, right? You just watch him and you just want to be his friend. You just want to, sign up for season tickets to Tim Anderson. And I don't know what's going on with him. Maybe there's an injury we don't know about, or maybe the White Sox have a curse. I know it hasn't affected Luis Robert in the first half, but it seems like Eloy can't seem to stay healthy. And some of their pitchers, I, I can't figure out Lance Lynn. You know, I, I've written a couple of, you should cut Lance right. Lynn columns. And then he strikes out 16 guys, but he still gets the loss in like 11 or 12 strikeout game. I, I don't know. race and ratio are still torching your teams. I don't understand that team, but because the payoff would be better for Tim Anderson, I think you'd be better off betting on him. Yeah. What's odd about Tim Anderson and, and you know, he, he did have a knee injury uh, in April, uh, but the sprint speed with Tim Anderson this year is 48th percentile. It was 77th percentile last year, 74th percentile the year before that it was in the nineties, you know, in the early part of his career. So for me, I'm thinking about when you compare Jeff McNeil Tim Anderson, they should each hit for average. I think they're each going to hit for a higher average in the second half. That's just what they do usually. But McNeil doesn't give you the power. He doesn't give you the speed. I think the higher upside is with Anderson. We'll see. You know, the sprint speed ding, being down tells me something physically maybe isn't quite right. Maybe it's the knee. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's at least the speed upside there with Anderson that he's the more uh, fruitful fantasy option. And we probably thought that going into the year anyway. Yeah, I like the way you sleuth that out with the looking at the sprint speed is maybe an indicator of what could be symptomatically wrong there. So I think it's wise to look at it from that angle. My last one, 
we know in in generally in school a four hours a perfect average. Although I know some kids high school they take accelerated classes and you know they graduate with a four or five and then they go to Harvard or Yale or Duke or Stanford. Not schools that were on my list. Those were all my safety schools when I was a <laughs> high school kid. But uh, Larissa Rise is trying to be a four zero or you know, a point four zero zero hitter. Right now he's at three eighty three. We know we haven't seen. A 400 hitter since Ted Williams famously hit 406. It's been Rod Carew hit 388. Tony Gwynn hit 394 in the strike season. George Brett hit 390. How close to that 4.0 or the 0.400, if you will, will Larissa Rise get by the end of the season? Oh, I wish I wish he had a real chance. I just don't. It's so hard to do. I mean, think about it. Like you have to go get two hits a night almost mm-hmm. every yep. night. Uh, no, it, it, it may be harder for him because unlike Brett or unlike um, Williams, you know, he, he doesn't walk that much. He's got 27 walks. Now, the great thing about Arise is he's just impossible to strike out. He's only struck out 19 times. But he's not – one thing that helped Brett in that 1980 season is he walks so much. He, you're, you're looking at the at-bat sample being a lot <clears> smaller. I also remember people yep. talk about with the Red Sox, uh, Wade Boggs, who was good friends with Brett. I think he might have named one of his kids after Brett actually – he had a 162-game sample from, like, midsummer to midsummer one year where he hit 401. I mean, obviously it doesn't count. Boggs was a much better hitter at family. He wasn't anywhere near as effective on the road, although he was still a really good offensive player. We were also tossing around in uh, my Red Sox text thread. We were talking talk about who was the better baseball player, Tony Gwynn or Wade Boggs. You know, Boggs was much better drawing a walk, but Gwynn early in his career was a gold-glove outfielder. He stole bases. Yep. Uh, it's a really tough choice. Obviously, Gwynn was held back by his park <clears throat> while Boggs was elevated by his days at Fenway. But even those guys, you know, the best they would do is 360s, 370s. You know, Gwynn had that one season. I, I will always wonder if he could have done it. I know. Um, you know, maybe he was at 394 that year. Yeah, and there was I, Matt Matt Williams with the home runs. The yep. Expos were leading the NL East. I mean, totally could have been alternate alternate history. You know, if the Expos, if they win the World Series – does that mean they keep baseball in Montreal in perpetuity? I think they would have. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, they had Pedro on that team. They had Larry Walker on that team. They right. had Vladimir Guerrero on that team. I just I – mean, Marquise Grissom was a superstar at that point. What a what a fun team. I, I think it's safe to say they were the best team in the National League, probably in right. baseball. And stupid strike came around uh, August. Also, it's funny, in my fantasy league that year, my good friend Steve Gleason was in first place in our Chumpster League. His team was the expensive winos. He's a big Keith Richards fan. That was Keith wow, Keith Richards' band. It's his side band to the Rolling Stones with the expensive winos. So Steve had a lead the whole season, and he was in the process of getting chased down by his brother Scotty, who was two and a half points out of first place the way we score it, uh, which is actually a very small lead. It's a kind of a hybrid yep. scoring. I won't go into it. And so Larry Holt, the commissioner of our league, when the strike hit, we used to write a newsletter, and I, I, I usually I wrote them, but sometimes somebody else would, and we'd talk about the league, we'd make fun of each other, and, and the headline was Strike Saves Winos. The idea that <laughs> Steve was not going to win the league, that his brother was going to run him down like a parked car. And Steve, I, like these are two of my best friends. Steve's still a little hot about it. He'd say, hey, you know, I they played the season they put on the field. I didn't I didn't go on strike. They did. You know, I won the championship. What's with Strike Save Winos? He's still mad about that. I don't blame him. And Scotty still insists that, you know, if that season was played out, that he, he was going to rampage to a championship. Do you, do you have any fantasy memories from the 1994 season? Were you playing fantasy back then? I was not playing fantasy, but I have a really funny thing here. So okay. I have official ball 
1994 World Series. See this? Awesome. Okay. That no, signed, is, signed by nobody, I noticed. <laughs> I know. It, this is the weirdest thing. I don't even know why I have this. I got this when I was a kid. I think my dad gave it to me. He worked for Aramark, who did like all the food services at ballparks and stuff like that. Gave me this ball. I didn't, who would have known they I guess they made these months in advance. I have no idea. It's the weirdest ball ever. But yeah, I have one. I can't reach it from where I'm sitting, but if you look over my shoulder, I guess to the left of your screen, you see a baseball. That's actually signed by the 1969 Seattle Pilots, which is notable because that was Jim Bouton's year with the Pilots. First the first and only year in Seattle. They were an expansion team. It was an expansion year. And um so what are you gonna do during the all-star break, right? There's no fantasy lineups to set. Maybe yeah. read a book. If you haven't read Ball Four, it's it's not my favorite baseball book of all time. It's my favorite book of all time. It's a book about human nature. It's a book about underdogs. It's a book about outsiders. It's a book about just how we look at things, group dynamics. I I love Ball Four, and um, Jim Bount was always kind of a hero of mine. So back over my shoulder, you can see right next to Wally the Green Monster and my my new. Uh, Ice cream cup. I did get an ice cream cup with the Tigers logo at the ball game. You got to get one of those. Uh, I got my Seattle Pilots baseball re- really for the Jim Bouton autograph. Very nice. Well, I hope you enjoy your all-star break. We'll actually be back on Wednesday. We're likely just going to preview the second half of the season, and maybe we'll be a little bit more Louisa Rise talk. I didn't answer the question. You did I'm not gonna answer say, the question. No, no, no. So I'm going to say Rise finishes 365. You know, I, I hate to say this. I'm going to go even lower than that. I, I'm, okay. I'm going to say he hits in the 350s. Still leads all of baseball. Yeah. And uh, Corey Seager, just for fun, I'll say Corey Seager wins the American League batting title, but it's down to 338. I know he's in the 350s right now. I know. And you know what? You know, look, DJ, we live in a, in a world where, you know, there's advanced stats and, and baseball savant's awesome and fan graphs is awesome. Baseball perspectives is awesome. And, you know, expert velocity and, and spin rate. I, I the, All those things are cool. I still care about batting average. I'm not saying it's more important than OBP. I'm not saying it wasn't overrated for years, but there's still something. It, it just would be so cool if somebody hit 400, where if somebody, you know, I remember when Barry Bonds had OBPs that broke the game. Or, you know, right now, a couple of guys have OBPs. It was, Juan Soto always has an OBP. That's crazy. That's cool. But there's a cachet with batting average because, again, we the stats that are on the back of the baseball card, I know they're not the best stats. I although you know, Home runs is kind of timeless. I, I get it. But – I still care about a guy getting 100 RBIs or scoring 100 runs or stealing 50 bases. I, you're a guy having a 40-40 season. or right. it's, it's pretty rare now. A guy winning 20 games. I, I, I'm not saying these are the best numbers and everything, but I still have some nostalgia to that. Baseball, we talk about this all the time. Baseball, more than any other sport, has stats we care about. You could be a diehard hockey fan and have no idea how many assists Wayne Gretzky had or something like that. But if right. I say to a baseball fan, 3000 hits or, you know, 714 home runs or, you know, stuff like that, people know, people know immediately. If I say, like, I talked about that, that no hitter I saw. And I said on Twitter that the best game I ever saw pitch was the Kerry Wood game. Everybody immediately knows. Yeah. He struck out 20 guys. Everybody oh, knows yeah. that. It's not like, was it 15? Was it 22? No, it was 20. And we don't have that in other in other sports, you know. We, right. You're guessing. I I couldn't tell you how many touchdown passes Tom Brady had. I could guess at it, but I I would right. just be taking a wild, you know, wild guess from you know from from the nether re- regions. You know, I still think it's cool that we have a guy you know quasi competing for a 400 average. I don't think anybody thinks he's going to do it, but just the fact that I see him hitting in the 380s, I still think that's really cool. I mean, I think that's why you know steroids mattered so much in baseball compared to other sports is for some yeah. reason 
these records, they just transcend everything. They come with a, a greater value or appreciation. Um, and, you know, we're talking about where this season could lead with, with a rise. I mean, who's the last hitter to even be in this area? I guess it was a Gwyn. Like, I don't remember. Ichiro. Probably, right? I know John Olerud had a year. I think I'm going to be 93 where he made a push. Yeah, each each year must have been close at least once or twice. I, it's funny. I know Gar- Garcia Parra hit, I think, 370 or 372 or something like that, but I don't remember him being in the 400 hunt. It was yeah. so hard to do it now. You know, the guy, the relief pitching is so good. You know, when when Carew was trying to do it or Brett was trying to do it, there wasn't this idea that I, you know, okay, we're not letting your starting pitcher get to you three times. You know, we're we're going to give you a different reliever to look at every time you you come up. Although Brett, were you old enough to see Brett? Man, what a great yeah. hitter he was! Uh, batting titles in three different decades. Uh, like another one of my favorites, Fred Couples did not win bat, did not wear batting gloves, didn't believe in him. Mm-hmm. Just had that sweet swing. And they asked Brett, Keith Hernandez too, no uh, batting gloves. Love Keith Hernandez. And you know what the funny thing about Hernandez is, as great of a hitter as he was, I think I got more joy out of watching him play defense. Oh yeah, that I, that I did I, easily the the best defensive first baseman I've ever seen, and mm-hmm. I know people have different ideas about should it be a big Hall of Fame, a medium sized Hall of Fame, or, or really select Hall of Fame. If people like Dave Parker and Dwight Evans and Keith Hernandez got in the Hall of Fame, I'd be totally for it. I, I'm not saying let's let everybody in. I don't want yeah. you know Andy Ashby to be in the Hall of Fame, but. <laughs> um, I, I, I think Evans actually should be in the Hall of Fame, even as it's currently defined. Right. And I, I wasn't thrilled to see Harold Baines get in. Harold I Baines, I was going to mention, like, yeah. I, I think once he gets in, it does open the door for uh, for uh, Keith Hernandez. Um, moving forward here, we'll Hernandez, see. Hernandez, you know, Hernandez, he won an MVP, uh, shared it with Stargell. I think he probably should have yeah. won that on his own. He hit 344 that year. Yeah. Was on championship teams and was was could say, could make a claim to well, what what – you know, you say you, they say in football, like, can you tell the story of the league without this player? You know, does Keith Hernandez have something he can hang his hat on? Yes, he's a widely acknowledged as the best defensive first baseman ever. And I know mm-hmm. that's not the same as being the best, the best defensive catcher, the best defensive shortstop. Sure. Ozzy Ozzy Smith sailed in the Hall of Fame on his defensive credentials. Again, a shortstop far more important than the first baseman. I get it; they're nowhere near each other in the defensive spectrum. But I right. think Keith Hernandez at least deserved. A longer look. You know, we talked about guys like Kenny Lofton, who fell off the ballot right away. Lou Whitaker is just a snub, man. I, yeah, I don't know no, how terrible. Lou Whitaker's not in the Hall of Fame. I, mean, I think Alan Trammell was a Hall of Famer, deserved it. He should have yeah. gone in the same year Whitaker did. I know. And I know. There's probably some unsavory reasons why Whitaker didn't get a better shot. He should be in the Hall of Fame. But I think the Hall of Fame is better if we have Keith Hernandez in it. And I mentioned Parker. I'll close with this. When you finish reading Ball 4, hunt down the Dave Parker documentary that the Major League Baseball Network did. That was outstanding. I also recently caught up to the the Dodgers Yankees um, documentary they did on the late seventies Dodgers and Yankees teams that were just soap operas. Fat, mm-hmm. you know the Reggie Jackson Yankees, the Dodgers, yep. you know famously Sutton and Garvey got in a fight. Tommy Lasorda having Don Rickles and Don uh, Frank Sinatra in the pregame uh, you know press conference and everything eating d- Italian food with them afterwards. Really fun teams. Great, great documentary. I love a great documentary anyway. So um, maybe you can catch up on some of your books and documentaries while we're not sure. playing baseball. You know, one thought I had before we get out of here, uh, I think batting average matters to the players too, because you look at the ballot for the players when, you know, players pull out due to injury or what have you from participating in the all-star game. Uh, Ger- Geraldo Perdomo got selected by the players over Francisco Lindor. Lindor is having the better season. For sure. Defensively, he has the power. 
wins above replacement, all that. But Perdomo has the higher batting average. I think maybe some players just look mm-hmm. at the average. And it's like, oh, I'll, I'll pick him and over Lindor. And that's basically what happened there. Lindor should be in the All-Star game. He's basically top 15 and wins above replacement right now among position players. And he's sitting home. He probably doesn't mind it. He has a newborn daughter and gets to have that family time. Could probably use the break because he plays like every day. But I think it matters to the players too. Did you ever make an all-star team in any sport? I No, I didn't. I didn't. Played baseball no. and basketball growing up, but no, I did not. I probably should have made my Little League all-star team at age 11. I didn't. And then age 12, I was named team captain. I was a shortstop. And we brought in a nice. new guy to play second base who was better than me, who ended up playing college ball. And I, I may have even mentioned this in the podcast. I'm sure Jimmy Moulton, who's a friend of mine, we, we follow each other on Twitter. He probably, he was too kind to say, why am I playing behind this Pienowski idiot who I'm a hundred <laughs> times better than, but it was kind of like a Derek Jeter situation. I'm not saying I'm Derek Jeter, but like Derek Jeter at some point shouldn't have been the shortstop anymore. And the Yankees left him there. You yeah. know, um, maybe, I, I don't know. maybe I was a 12 year old Derek Jeter. I don't know, but I peaked when I was 11. <laughs> if I was 12 years old, I wanted to hit home runs. Didn't hit them. I did make a basketball all-star team once. And um, I remember I was the only guy on my team who hadn't scored a point in the all-star game. I, I really couldn't care less about it, whatever I was, but they wanted me to score a point. So in the fourth quarter, they kept passing me the ball and imploring me to shoot. And that became more stressful than the idea that I wouldn't score in this game. And then I eventually <laughs> got fouled. I was a really good free throw shooter, but I missed both my free mm-hmm. throws and I just became a source of embarrassment to the point that I just, you know, I would have been fine scoring no points. Nobody cares. You know, I, I couldn't right. tell you who had 15 points in that game. There's no box score floating around the internet. So you know, don't right. embarrass your all-stars by making them, you know, shoot a bunch of fourth quarter, you know, shots to try to score garbage points. It, uh, it just ends up embarrassing them. It embarrassed me anyway. So, well, I peaked, I peaked as an athlete when I was young. Now I, I, I was, ball. I was, uh, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old growing up in Maryland. Every kid wanted to be the shortstop. Because they want to be Cal. Ripken. I wonder why, right? They I, want to be, they want I to be was Billy the shortstop, though. I there was the shortstop, uh, though. That was uh, that was always a bone of contention. But I was the best shortstop on my team at that time. Uh, I didn't sprout up as much as some of the other kids as I got older. But I think I think I might be with you on that. I might have peaked when I was nine, ten, eleven with my baseball instincts. Yeah, I, I, I was like that. I was really good. Like I knew all the cutoff stuff, and I understood the yeah. game, what base to throw to. The strategy. Right. I just wasn't. Same. I, I was just ordinary with talent. I actually had a very accurate throwing arm. But I didn't throw that hard. So what I did when I was a shortstop is I would play a really shallow shortstop because I knew if I played deep, I wouldn't have the arm strength to throw anybody right. out who had any speed. Right. So, uh, in fact, I think the first ball they hit to me at shortstop. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, get down, field it good, throw it to first base. Mm-hmm. Oh, great, nice accurate throw. And my friend Greg right. was like three steps past the bag, you know, because I, <laughs> I just I had a super accurate arm, but I just couldn't throw hard. Every once in a while, they'd have me pitch because I could throw strikes, and they were very hittable strikes. I'd get hit all over the park. My my pitching stats, I, I wouldn't have had the Tyler Wells. Uh, with, I, can, I can tell you that I wouldn't have walked anybody. I would have been a little bit like Bob, Bob Tuchsquare if you remember him. But yeah, um, yeah. So I, I played a faux shortstop. I played on the infield grass. You know, I, right. I, I didn't have the – if you're good, you can tell the good shortstops they play deep. And Cal Ripton, man, that, that guy had a yeah. bazooka. Remember Sean Dunson, the arm he had? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Just fun to watch him. Let, and he, he liked to let it rip, too. Dunston wanted to, like, show off on every yes. throw. Right. Uh, Rip Ripken was incredible. Ripken changed the game. He did. A couple, couple different no ways. Because when he came up, I remember during the pandemic season, Ron Chandler and Todd Zola and those guys, they were running some retro drafts where we would draft fantasy seasons knowing the stats – and we did some drafts back when shortstops couldn't hit, 
And it was mm-hmm. remarkable what you had to accept as your shortstop. And if you didn't identify this early on, you, you might have missed the boat. Right. Ripken was both really tall for a shortstop. Remember, he came mm-hmm. up as a third baseman and, and also a shortstop who could hit. Because back then, yep. you know, catcher and shortstop were positions. They were all defense first. Yep. And if you happened to find a guy who could hit those positions, it was a, a rare thing. Now, Fancy gold, yep. Now it's like I, there's great. Well, first of all, in the draft, right? Keith Law always talks about this. I mean, the best players are always the shortstops anyway. And then yes. you know, guys bounce around. Gary Sheffield came up as a shortstop. Yep. It's crazy to think of some. Or you know, Bryce Harper, right? Came up as a catcher that they realized he'd be more valuable somewhere else. But right. um, yeah, the shortstop rules all broken by DJ Short and and Cal Ripken in, in the 1980s and 90s. Yeah. I, I mean, I realized pretty early on that my sports knowledge was better off being used for exactly what I'm doing right now, which is good. I, I found my my lot in life, which is hopefully helping our listeners and viewers. And we'll, we'll do that again on Wednesday as we look ahead to the second half. Great stuff, Scott. Um, enjoy the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game. And also remember to subscribe to Circling the Bases wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Be sure to rate and review if you like what you're hearing. Also, follow us on Twitter if you don't already, or threads, right? Uh, Scott is at Scott underscore Pianowski on Twitter. Are you you at Scott underscore Pianowski on threads? I don't. I have a different name on threads, but it's pinned to the top of my Twitter account. So if you you want to get in on threads, which I know you and I talked about last week, we were both early adopters to threads. You know, so far, so good. I think I like to see the timeline curated specifically for me. I know by who I follow, but we'll, we'll work on it. Um, yeah, we don't we'll know get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. And we'll, we'll get there with uh, the newly designed Roto World as well. We are working to optimize it and and get it, uh, you know, as be- as good as it can be moving forward. I'm excited to see what we can do there. So uh, definitely stay tuned as far as that's concerned. I'm at DJ Short on Twitter and Threads, so make it super easy for you. Take care, everyone. Enjoy all the all-star festivities. We'll see you back here Wednesday. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.